may be seated. So um, you may have already done this when you walked in, but even if you did, I want you to just turn around to somebody who's near you and say, I am glad that you're here today. All right. I heard some real genuine that I'm glad you're here today. So, okay, well, it is time for the kids to leave for Kingdom Kids. And kids, you're going out the main doors now. So head on out. Your teachers are out there waiting for you. Kim's doing jumping jacks back there. All right. Good job. Okay, so um, just a couple of announcements today. Uh, the contribution statements, as we had mentioned last week, are available. I'll be up in this area after service today. If you want to come up and just actually get a hard copy uh, for this year, you can do that. If you would like to uh, get it by email uh, in the bulletin and up on the screen, there are directions just to email into the church email uh, what your email address is, and we'll send those out to you in the mail. So either one of those options is is fine. Um, the second has to do with puzzles, like actual like puzzles that you build. So Ernie and Betty are lifelong puzzle aficionados. And Ernie and Betty have a lot of puzzles, let's just put it that way. And so they are putting themselves in the very generous position of becoming essentially kind of a puzzle lending library. And so if you like puzzles and you would like to borrow a puzzle and hopefully give it back when you're done. Um, you can see Betty, you can see Ernie, they have lots of them and you could, they'll keep you busy for years doing all sorts of puzzles. So feel free to see Betty, see Ernie for that. Um, and just before Richie comes up, uh, I'm just going to pray. Um, so Lord, once again, uh, we are here we are here because of you. We are here for you and because of you. And we thank you for the grace to be with us this morning. Um, Lord, I ask you, we ask you just to use Richie right now to speak truth and to speak word, your word into our hearts, into our lives for the transformational work that only you can do. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Well, good morning. It's good to see some of you I haven't seen in a while. See you guys and O'Connors, awesome. Good to see you guys. And and we know we recognize that you know um, illnesses that are still going through the valley and uh, not just Omicron or COVID, but just general flus and colds and everything. We 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 know that um, it's just a different time. And so we do celebrate those that are able to join us in person, and we celebrate those that are uh, on live stream and using the technology to get God's word out um, to many of you who tune in faithfully on, on Sunday mornings and uh, say hi to those at Triple C, the Continuing Care Center. They, they reshow this at two, about 2 p.m. every Sunday for the residents there. And so we're blessed to have that ministry. And so uh, what we're going to do this morning is, is we're going to actually go back to the book of Philippians. If you remember, yeah, uh, we started the book of Philippians right before Christmas in the, in the fall of last year, and then Christmas came in, and so we kind of, like I said, celebrated the incarnation. And so we're going we're gonna to come back into the new year, and we're going to continue where we were in Philippians. And we were in Philippians chapter 2, and if you're not familiar with Philippians, it's a letter, okay? We call it a book, but it was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the believers in a city called Philippi. 
Okay, so that's the context. It's, it's a letter. And that's why I encourage you sometimes, it's maybe in the shorter ones like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you understand that they're letters, sometimes it's good, and it only takes maybe 15, 20 minutes, depending on your reading speed, to read it, the whole thing, as a letter. Because sometimes in our Christianity, what happens is we begin to compartmentalize and we pull out favorite verses and, and, and take things out of context, maybe not intentionally. And we just forget that books like Philippians were really a letter. And sometimes when you pan back and you go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Paul to the church. You're like, it's a letter. All right. And so I encourage you to do that. Maybe as we're getting back into Philippians, you want to go reread Philippians 1 and 2 to get caught up just in the con- overall context. But we left off in two really key verses, and we're going we're gonna to start here and then nudge forward just a little bit today. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, just if you wanted like, I, you know, pastor, what, what are some, what's a foundational verse or verses that I can really just latch onto to help me understand what following Jesus is, is really about? What's some core that'll launch me, give me meaning and purpose every day, like cast a vision for why we even come to church and go to Bible study and read the Bible and pray all the disciplines. What are some verses that would really ground me right here? Philippians 2, 12, and 13. And we spent a lot of time talking about it. But verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, very important. It's not work for. It's work out. And the word picture, the one that I really like, is a math problem. Where you work out a math problem to conclusion. Right? Geometry, how many remember like the geometry theorems, right? How many, you know, in algebra, you bring it all and hopefully equals and you get it right, right? How many here are math? You like math and how many want nothing to do with math? And you're, you're, you're like readers and writers, right? Yeah, I, I went to UCLA and it was, it was funny because y- they kind of want you to declare. So I said, yeah, uh, computer engineering. I did pretty well in high school. And it's funny because UCLA has South Campus, which is math, all the sciences and engineering are South Campus, and North Campus is liberal arts land, right? And so I went there into computer engineering, took a few calculus, college calculus classes, and I'm like, nope, I'm heading north. I'm heading north. Changed to political science, international relations, and I, I did my own wandering, and I ended up North Campus. Right? So to work out your salvation is to bring our salvation as believers. It's called sanctification to completion. So it gives us purpose and meaning every single day. Today, right? Today, maybe you woke up, hopefully, and you said, What's my purpose as a believer? Is it just to go to church and just do? No, today you have purpose that, that connects all the dots. What is your purpose today? To advance the ball in working out your salvation, which is what? To become more like Jesus. Like, think about that. Sometimes we get consumed with what's right in front of us, that we forget that whatever God is allowing into our life can be used by him to help work out our salvation, meaning become more like Jesus. Amen? 
Isn't that kind of cool? Think about that. Regardless of how good things are or how bad things are, by the time you put your head down on your pillow tonight, you can put a smile on your face because you did something, you made a choice or choices that brought the equation more to conclusion, which means by the time you go to sleep tonight, you can be more like Jesus. Amen? How crazy is that? That's meaning and that's purpose. That's, that's really the genuine meaning and purpose of life. But we get caught up in making money. We get caught up in relationships. We get caught up in all the things of the world when really the genuine purpose and meaning and joy is to, at the end of today, go, wow, I made some good choices today. Man, I saw God work in my life today. I'm, you know, I'm, in, I'm a work in progress, but man. Right, Mark? I love my wife better today. Right, Kathy? (laughs) Report due next Sunday. If Mark has advanced the ball in loving Kathy better. Right? But even like that, right? Ephesians 5. We're, We're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. Right? So husbands. He's like, oh, great. Right? The wives are like, listen, listen. Husbands, you can advance the ball by loving your wife even a little bit more like Christ loved the church today. Right? So it's so cool. These, this is a verse. Verse 12, it's our responsibility. So I love this because Philippians 2.12 speaks about our responsibility. Every day you and I as a believer, whether we're single, married, whatever, station in life, however old, we can wake up and go, Lord, today, I want to get more and more like Jesus. Okay? Meaning, purpose, joy. Joy in everything. And then verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You got you to keep these connected. It's our responsibility, God's resources and enabling. Amen? So it's crazy, right? Because, you know, I, I'm on YouTube and, I, you know, I read books and I see, I know there's a lot of good motivational speakers out there and and guys who will speak to manhood issues and being the best version of yourself and i'm not knocking it i you know some of it's helped me right but one thing that's lacking in the secular world is hey it's god who works in you i can get a lot of helpful principles to be the best version of myself without needing god as believers we wake up and we're like today I get the privilege and the opportunity to work out my salvation. But the crazy thing is, it's the God of the universe working in me. Amen? Like, okay. I'm going to say that again, and I really want you to just ponder how you respond in amen. Okay? So I wake up. I get this vision. Like, I get to work out my salvation. I, get to, I could become more like Jesus. And then verse 13 says, it's the God of the universe who gives me these desires, and it's the God of the universe that's going to empower me to do that. Amen? Amen. Again, I, it's just one of those things you've got to ponder. And I, I, I pray that, you know, as you're pondering, maybe you put in, like, maybe you'll be driving to work. You'll be like, oh, my gosh. Because the Holy Spirit goes, boop. And you're like, it's God. God. I would say God, right? Again, because, and I think what's really hard is that maybe depending on your religious upbringing or your understanding of Christianity, 
and, and our culture as a whole, we're very self-help driven. We're very independent. We're self-sufficient driven in our culture. Needing help, living in dependency is frowned upon, right? And yet, if we're going to follow Jesus, we come in full surrender saying, I can't. There's no way. Because we're talking about a supernatural verse here, all right? Who's Eileen in your computer? Put up verse 13 again. Okay, we're going to read this together. Because if you're a believer, ponder this truth. If you're a believer in Christ, ponder what this is saying about you as you sit here and as you're listening at home. Okay, we're going to read it together. Ready, begin. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, now we're going to personalize it, and we'll read it right unto, until that comma. Instead of you, we're going to say me. We're just going to read the first, what, that seven words or so? Ready, begin. For it is God who works in me. me. So, you, so you see, it, it just changed everything. Because... Whatever you're facing in life right now, I'm guessing there's a large part of you that you're trying to figure it out. And you're relying on your own strength, your own resources, your own past experiences, your own figuring, your own, your own, your own, because that's got you successful in your life. The challenging part about self-sufficiency and self-dependence and independence is that it works. And in fact, in our culture, it's celebrated. Some of the wealthiest people, some of the presidents and CEOs didn't need anybody. Right? And then you come to faith in Christ, and it's what we call the upside-down kingdom. It's God. What did, what did Jesus say in John 15? Without me, you can do... No, do you, oh, hmm. Oh, come on. I could do a little something, something. I, I, I got this far. What do you mean nothing? Well, nothing of lasting spiritual fruit and benefit, nothing. This is a supernatural spiritual walk we're engaged in. And so as we move forward in Philippians, I really want to encourage us to, to maybe reflect. Here's, here's another way to, to reframe this. If a non-believer was looking at your life from the outside, family, friend, co-worker, stranger, is there anything in your life that they would attribute to a supernatural work of God? Think about that. Because isn't that the testimony? Because if, we're, if, we're, if Christianity is just being a better version of myself and a better good moral person, well, there's a lot of people asleep in the neighborhood right here who are really good moral people and very successful and giving and kind and charitable. So that's not the standard of the testimony necessarily. It doesn't end there. The question is, based on Philippians 2, 12, and 13, what in your life, what in my life would a non-believer say, whoa, that's a work of the Lord in you? Because I knew you before. I knew, you, I knew your language. I knew your attitude. I knew your road rage. I know how you handled your money. I know, right, right? What in your life, what in my life would someone say, man, God's working in you? And you know what happens when they say God is working in you? They're like, maybe I need God. 
And it takes the, the, the testimony out of good moral people, better version of ourselves into the supernatural realm where now we are shining as lights in the darkness and the darkness wants what we have. Amen? See, there's a lot of wonderful self-help, charitable organizations, social organizations doing a lot of good and actually transforming people in the secular world. But we have Jesus. And verse 13 says, we have the God of the universe. <laughs> Not just on our side, but where? In us. Giving us the desires and the ability to live a supernatural life that draws others to him, not me. You want meaning, you want purpose, you want significance? Set that as your course. I mean, how crazy good would it be if someone says, man, you know what? I think I might go to that church of yours. Really, why? I don't know, I've just been watching you all these years. And something has changed, and I gotta be honest with you. I think God is real. And you're like, what do you mean God is real? Because I see him in your life. How many would love to have someone say, I think God is real, and the reason being that they've seen transformation in your life. How many would be like completely like, right? That's it. That's the heart of Philippians 2, 12, and 13, okay? And so I want to just kind of plant that seed as we move forward because we're going to cover about five words, not five verses today, five words that are going to really require a supernatural work of God for some, okay? And, and the title of today's message, if you haven't seen it already on the sermon notes, is if you want to shine, you need to lose the wine. <laughs> now, that's not W-I-N-E, but if you do, you know, if there is an issue of, of alcoholism and, and why you... We want to help you with that because it impacts your testimony. But we're talking about, if you want to shine, you need to lose the wine. Right? And we're going to define wine. Because some of us have taken whining to an art form. And don't be doing this. I, I'm talking, you know? Right? And, and uh, honestly, it's going to require supernatural work. But here's the great thing. Sometimes when we say, right, I want to glorify God, right? Let your light so shine. Sometimes as believers, we think it's got to be something big. We got to go build a house in Mexico. We got to go be missionaries across the world. We got to, we got to, we got to, you know, we got to do something. We got to do more love. We got to do more, one, right? We think this stuff we have to add. And in fact, the verse that we're going to look on really talks about subtracting, not doing something that will glorify God. You ever think about that? We get so consumed with doing and adding, 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 and there's really, you ever hear of add addition by subtraction, right? Well, you can add to your testimony by subtracting something, right? And it's going to require supernatural work. Because Philippians 2.14 through 16 says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing, a.k.a. wine, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Right? If you want to shine, 
as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, current situation. He doesn't say, hey, go build a house. He doesn't say, hey, sell everything and go across the world. He says, if you want to shine as lights in a crooked and twisted generation, uh, do all things without grumbling. Hmm. Right? Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. <sighs> Just look at that. Look at that. I only keep that up because that second word is a doozy. Isn't it? What is that second word up there? Oh, oh not many people said that. <laughs> What's the second word? All, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Guess what all means in the Greek? Now, some of us hopes that all in the Greek means some, most. All means without exception, no exception. In fact, in the Greek, in the Young's literal translation, they, they flip it, and it says, all things do without murmurings or reasonings. So all together here and at home, let's just say all things. Mm. Okay, so how many right now would be honest and say, that's going to require God working in me? Do all things without grumbling or murmuring. See, I love the simplicity of this verse because, again, it takes us right out of my own efforts and my own best intentions to, I need God. I need God. Now, we're going to camp on this word grumbling today, and we're not in a hurry because we have to really understand grumbling. What, is, what are they really talking about when it talks about do all things without exception, without grumbling? Okay? Because if, if you've read through the, the Bible... There's several examples of the Israelites grumbling, right? Exodus 16, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, right? So again, that's just one example, but if you've read through, Israelites were almost known for their grumbling, right? And sometimes, you know, you're surprised. He just set you free from Egypt. Hundreds of years of, of slavery, and you're out there supernaturally, Red Sea. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. They forget all of God's faithfulness, all of God's supernatural work, and they become centered on me, and they turn right to grumbling, okay? So, so actually, the word grumbling as we're looking at in Philippians, it's to say anything in a low tone, an audible expression of an unwarranted dissatisfaction, expression of one's discontent. That's grumbling. In fact, the original Greek word, it's one of those words, if you say it, it sounds like grumbling. Is, I, you know, I, I can't even pronounce it, but grumbling is kind of like that. Anyone? Sitting next to someone who speaks that language? Right? Where is that coming 
from? It's a, it's a heart of dissatisfaction and discontent. That's, it's a manifestation of a heart issue. There's something going on, and we call it grumbling. And we're going to see that as believers. Remember, Philippians has spoken to believers, so this is a biblical view of grumbling. And it's serious. We're going to see this is not just a little like, oh, yeah, I grumble. No, this is a really, really big deal. Okay? Exodus 16. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Right? He's talking about Moses. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Okay, so we have to understand, why is grumbling such a big deal from a biblical perspective? It's personal. You and your heart issue are dealing with the Lord. Biblical grumbling is a heart attitude and a heart dissatisfaction with God. That's why it's such a big deal as a believer. Do all things without exception, 24-7, 365, without grumbling. It's more than just, what we're talking about is a heart grumbling issue. A heart, I love this, unwarranted dissatisfaction. It's an expression of discontent. Not with your circumstances. Remember this. It's discontent and dissatisfaction with God. That's what makes grumbling such a big deal. If you grumble as a believer, understand, you are expressing dissatisfaction and discontent with what God is allowing in your life. It's a faith issue, it's a trust issue, it's a submission issue, it's a control issue. It's a big deal. It's a big, big deal. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, look what it says. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. When he talks about people being destroyed because of their grumbling, many believe he's talking about number 16. And if you read the whole chapter of number 16, there was this guy, Korah, and two others who led this uprising against Moses and Aaron. They're like, who made you boss? Why are you our political and religious leaders? We're just as good as you. And they get 250 leaders to kind of come onto their side. And they kind of have this rebellion against Moses. Who, why can't we do what you do? They're grumbling. They're complaining. But it's, they're fixated on Moses and Aaron. Right? And they get this big, this uproar in the camp. And then number 1611 says this. Moses says, therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? So they're like, who are you, Aaron? Who are you, Moses? And Moses, whoa, time out. Heart check here. Um, We really didn't ask for this. And if you want to know the truth, God put us here. 
So you're really grumbling against him. We're just fulfilling the role and responsibility that he put us in. Your issue is with God. And for you and me in our life, especially with what's going on politically and the pandemic and whatever else you might be facing, we might need to have a sit down and ask ourselves, I'm, is my grumbling because I, I have an issue with God? I thought it was my boss. I thought it was my relative. I thought it was this. I thought it was this circumstance. I thought it was that person. And truth be known, you're grumbling because it's an issue with God. It's an issue with God. That's what was going on here, right? And so as you keep reading, you see how seriously God takes grumbling against himself. It says at one point in verse 31 to 35, the earth splits open and Korah and the two guys in their households get swallowed up by the earth and then fire comes out and consumes the 250 others. Why? Because they grumbled. Now here's, here's the part of the Israelites that I still don't get. They see this happening. The three guys and the 250, right? Whoop! Right? In verse 41, they come to Moses and Aaron and said, it's your fault they died. They're still grumbling. You're responsible for the death of the leader. They're still grumbling, right? And here's how serious God takes them grumbling against God's judgment, right? See, again, the people are fixated on Moses and Aaron, blaming them. Who was the one that brought the judgment? God, but they weren't seeing it that way. It was still me against you, just like many of us in our life. It's me against you. It's me against circumstance. We're not, we, God is not in the picture. And as soon as God leaves the picture, we can start to grumble, right? So they come and say, hey, Moses, Aaron, it's your fault. You know what God did? He sent a plague. He sent a plague into the camp. And in his grace... He asked Aaron to do something. So we're going to read uh, number 16, 47 to 49. He sends a plague and people start dying. Verse 47. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 beside those who died in the affair of Korah. I share this with us because God takes grumbling very seriously because it's an affront to him. Remember, it's personal. When we grumble, defined as dissatisfaction, discontent with what God is allowing in our life, God takes that very seriously. Very, very seriously. Okay? Ray Pritchard says this. Do we understand that complaining is an attack on God's sovereignty? Every time you complain about your circumstances, you are really saying, if I were God, I would do things differently. The complainer has forgotten the first rule of the spiritual life. He's God and we're not. John Bloom, grumbling complaints directly or indirectly declare that God is not sufficiently good, faithful, loving, wise, powerful, or competent. 
Otherwise, he would treat us better or run the universe more effectively. Faithless complaining is sinful because it accuses God of doing wrong. This is one of these things where, you know, again, what's challenging is I believe, and I see it in my life and in others, we excuse it. Grumbling is one of those things that it's easy to spot in other people, but we we're sort of have this blind spot in our own life, right? Or it's, it's, we, we've never really defined it. We've never seen it as, a, as an accusation against God's character and nature and love. And, and we sort of just, oh, you know, yeah, it's my spiritual gift, grumbling, and I'm going to exercise it daily, you know? We, we have all these ways to justify and excuse it, And it's incredibly serious because it's an accusation. Sometimes we say things around here on Sundays and and some people knock it because it's cliche, but let me make it not a cliche anymore. God is good. And all the time. Now, I'm going to ask you a question and we're going to say it again because you've heard me ask you before, do do you believe what you say you believe? I know, but be careful because, you know, here we go. So, right? The great question is, do you believe what you say you believe? So, only, only repeat this if you believe it. God is good. He's like, he's setting us up for something. I know he's setting us up. He does this for 11 years. He always sets us up. God is good. <laughs> See, when it's a cliche, you just belt it out. When you don't know what's coming, you know, do I really believe God is good all the time? God is good. And all the time. That excludes grumbling then. If you believe it. Because if God is good all the time, his goodness doesn't change in circumstances. Right? God is good, and all the time, so why grumble? If grumbling is accusing him of not being good, and faithful, and loving, and competent, and sovereign, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good is way more than a cliche. It is a core theological confession of faith, amen? And if you believe it, Grumbling can be really taken care of. Because before you exercise your habit of grumbling the next time, the Holy Spirit may put that Holy Spirit check and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before that comes up, is God good all the time? Okay, well then... Where does that put grumbling? As a sin. Right? And so we have to really, this is one of those things again, you know, and and I'll be honest with you, and, and, you know, I was thinking of this message, and I'm like, man, okay, we're just going to, it's Philippians 2, he says in the letter, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you're a pastor. This is a real self-serving message for you, wink, wink who have been in church for 30 years and dealt with the sheep and 
people in the church, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a part of what I do here. And believe me, one of the challenging parts is grumbling, right? Because grumbling is dangerous. It can be contagious and infectious. If you're grumbling and you are accusing God of not being good and faithful and competent, well, how do, what kind of impact do you think that's having on other believers? Is that the impact you want to have on a brother and sister in Christ? Is to make it okay for them too to grumble against God's character. To now go down the path of dissatisfaction and discontent with what God is doing in their life. Rather than encouraging them. Rather than affirming who God is and how he's working all things for the good. Amen? This is why grumbling is, that's why you get division and you get church splits and everything because grumbling, people grumble. And there's a part of it, you know, I mean, sometimes it's like, well, who are you, pastor? I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just someone saved by grace. Oh, yeah, well, that leadership team there and all that. It's Old Testament. We don't make any claim to be perfect around here. Just trying to be faithful and listen to God. And I understand, you know, we make decisions that don't please everyone all the time, and I get all that. I mean, that's just L-I-F-E, amen? If you're a parent or if you've worked in any kind, you got to make decisions and you got to lead. The challenging part is even in a church setting when grumbling is excused and ignored and then becomes contagious and infectious. And now what started out as what we thought was division here you get this church that's ultimately railing against God himself. That's how serious it is. That's why it's such a big, big deal, right? So what do we do then? I mean, we're not to grumble. What do we do with what waits us outside those doors? Right? We, we just looked a couple of weeks ago. In the world, you will have tribulation, be of good cheer. So, okay, so this pandemic's not going away anytime soon, apparently. And, you know, depending on who you read for economics, we got, a, we got an economic roller coaster coming up and, and you got an unemployment and you got your own stuff in your life, right? So who knows what 2022 holds for all of us here at home, right? How do we deal with that then if we're not supposed to grumble? You know, if grumbling, okay, I get it. It's an accusation of God. It's a sin. It's an accusation against God's character, his competence. Okay, do not grumble. In all things, do not grumble. I get that. So then what are we supposed to do as Christians? Fake smile. Praise the Lord. How are you? Fine. How's life? Good. Right? Because that's, that, that's the other thing. It's like, oh, well, a good Christian doesn't grumble. A good Christian, I mean, a good Christian isn't angry. A good Christian isn't upset ever. That's just not even true, right? A good Christian isn't, isn't angry or sorrowful, or this, right? And we, we, we put people in, in, in bondage that just isn't biblically accurate. So if grumbling is not what we're to do when confronted with circumstances, what is it? Okay, so this, is, this may help many of you. There is an incredible difference between grumbling and groaning or lamenting. Very, very important distinction here, okay? 
Philippians 2.14 says, in all things, do not grumble. Amen? And I think we, we kind of handle that. Why? Because it's an affront against God's character and competence. Our, it's a lack of faith. It's, that's why we don't grumble. That's telling God, you don't know what you're doing, and I don't trust you. That's why it's such a big deal. What we can do right now, whatever you're going through here, whatever you're going through in live stream or in your life, there's groaning and there's lamenting. See, we're not fake plastic Christians. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord. Just pray about it. That drives me crazy. You know why? Because it makes people feel guilty and bad for being human. Like, what kind of, I mean, someone comes to you with a real issue, and they're hurting, and they're scared, and they're angry, and they're confused. The last thing they need is me to say, just pray about it, brother. God is good all the time. No acknowledgement of their feeling, no acknowledgement of their pain, no acknowledgement of their anger. We just, we just paint over it. We just gloss over it. Here's a verse. No. What we can do when someone is going through a trial, a tribulation, agony, we can groan with them and we can lament with them. That's biblical. That's biblical. Exodus 2, 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. They were, they were hurting and they groaned. They groaned. The definition of groaning, it's when it's, the word pictures you're being squeezed by circumstances and you just have this inward sorrow and you want deliverance. That groaning like, oh, oh, oh. You're going through it. You're getting feeling squeezed, and it's just like, oh, I'm feeling sore. I'm feeling sad. It's, oh, right? And I was thinking of that in, in a way maybe some of you will connect. If you ever have, have had a sports team, right, or an athlete, and they're, they're in, a, in a competition, and they're not doing really well, right? Anyone ever groan? Like, oh, what's going on? Come on, guys. Right, you're, you're, you're right. We were watching the uh, the UFC fights last night, and we had some favorite, right? And and one of them wasn't doing too well, and I'm like, round one. I'm like, oh, come on, come on, you know. And I'm just like, oh, come on, do something, right? Do something. Well, it could be sports. It could be something in your life where you're just like, oh, come on, come on. That's the groaning we're talking about. That's groaning. Look what it says in Second Corinthians five. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we what? Groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Depending on your age and health, how many have ever groaned that you want the new body in heaven? Anyone? You're like, oh, come on, Lord. I just... When, when do we get to go to heaven? When do we get to be done with the, the sickness and the pain? When is all this stuff, all, all the brokenness and fallenness and all the, you know, the evil in the world, when, I just want it to be done, amen? That's, that's okay. In that, that's groaning. You know what makes it okay? Because you're still trusting God and God's promises. When you grumble, you have eliminated God from the picture. 
Groaning is rooted in faith and hope in God and his promises. Amen? We're looking forward. See, I'm groaning for a new body, a new earth, based on God's promises that I'm getting one. Amen? But it's okay to groan in it. It's okay. I love this by Benjamin Mast. He says, groaning and grumbling can seem similar, but biblically they are quite different. Both are responses to suffering, but their sources and their direction are different. Groaning is a response to the weight of suffering, and it is directed toward God as an honest expression of pain, grief, and sorrow. Grumbling also reflects the weight of suffering, but it springs from anger and resentment toward God. It lacks a memory of his past faithfulness. Groaning expresses an element of hope in God, despite current sufferings. But grumbling reflects a lack of hope and faith and is accompanied by a sense of doom. In the Bible, we see that God responds to groaning with mercy, but he responds to grumbling with anger and discipline. Still, even when we grumble, there is hope. God is slow to anger. He does not forget his promises. And even in his discipline, his goal is to draw his people to him in grace and pardon. Amen? So here's the thing as believers, when you're going through it and you're getting squeezed, permission to groan. Amen? Because the groaning is rooted in a vertical trust and relationship with God. It's okay. It's one of the words for, for groaning also is sigh. Anyone ever sigh? You shouldn't you just You know who else sighed? Jesus. I am comforted that Jesus went through everything that we go through, yet without sin. He didn't grumble. He groaned and he sighed. He was squeezed, but he didn't grumble against his father. He yielded to his father. He trusted his father's will. Okay, so there's groaning. In the Old Testament, very synonymous word is lament. And in the Psalms, there's different categories of Psalms, and they're called Psalms of Lament, L-A-M-E-N-T. And in fact, the, the Psalms of Lament are the largest category of Psalms, over one-third of the Psalms, what we call Psalms of Lament. To lament is, is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It can be on the personal level or what you see on, in the society or the culture, okay? It's, it's how we're feeling in the midst of, of great trials and tribulations, sorrow, anger, confusion, fear. That's to lament. To lament is just to take it the right way, let her rip, you're lamenting, right? And this is, this is what I love about the Psalms. If you understand what's going on and you're reading a Psalm of lament, it's real, it's authentic, it's raw. It's not candy coated. It's not plastic. It's just the person writing the Psalm like journaling. They're like journaling and they're letting it go, right? There's a general format in the Psalm of lament and we'll look at one. There's an address to God. There's a description of the complaint or the issue that they're going through. Then it, very important, it's a request for God's help and an expression of trust. So sometimes in the Bible, you're, in the Psalms, you're reading something, this person is pouring out their heart, da-da-da-da-da, and then there's a shift. About halfway or maybe three-quarters away, suddenly they'll shift and they go, but I trust in God. Okay? Psalm 13 is a psalm of lament. Listen for those categories, how, how general format. Listen for how honest this person is too. How long, O oh Lord, 
Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How many people here have ever had a how long moment? Anyone? How long? You know what? You're you're lamenting. And it's biblical. And it's okay. Right? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And verse 5, here it is. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen? So real, honest, lamenting. How long? How long? How long? And then... A shift. Oh, wait, but I still trust you. You are still God. You are still on the throne. You still got everything under control. Amen? That's biblical lamenting. That's biblical lamenting. Tony Cappy says this. Here's how to make the distinction between grumbling and groaning. Grumbling is how people suffer without hope. Groaning is how people suffer with hope. For the Christian, grumbling is suffering while losing sight of God's promises. The cure for that involves fixing our minds back on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. It is reminding ourselves and being reminded by the conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of us that we don't deserve anything other than suffering, torment, and eternal separation from God for eternity. But because of God's grace, we have hope. Therefore, grumbling is not just devoid of hope. It's devoid of grace. God's grace gives us hope for the future. And when our present falls short of that future, we groan. But we don't grumble like those who have no hope. Amen? See? What I love about this passage is if we'll take time to understand who we are in Christ and all of God's promises in our covenant relationship with him, we can move out of these doors And at home, you can get on with the day and the days ahead. And now you're equipped to navigate the trials and tribulations of life. Amen? Biblically, authentically, in truth and honesty. And here's the thing. If you will do that, that might be the testimonies to someone who thinks that you Christians have it all together. Oh, you Christians, you don't understand. You just have it all together. You just always have a smile on your face and nothing ever goes wrong in your life. You know what sometimes a real testimony is? It's to share your groaning and lamenting. But the groaning and lamenting is rooted in your faith and trust in God. Amen? That's the testimony. That, that's what separates us from the non-believers. We can groan and we can lament because of the cross. Amen? We groan and we lament. The word hope in the Bible means confidence. So because we're in Christ, because our names are written in the book of life, because all things work together for the good, because we have all of God's promises rooted back in his love at the cross, whatever happens to me, whatever happens to you, we're free to groan and lament because our faith remains unshaken. This is, this, this is what I've seen in, in 30 years of ministry, and this is, I'm hoping, is helpful, is that if you're groaning and lamenting, it doesn't mean you lack faith. 
I think there's this heavy trip that's been put on other believers in the church. Like, if something bad happens in your life and you're falling apart and you're groaning and lamenting, oh, I, I can't ask for prayer, I can't ask for help because they're gonna think that I'm a failure as a Christian. What's wrong with you? Don't you trust God? No, I'm just groaning and lamenting, thank you very much. Amen? But see, but we, but we get so caught up in what people are going to think, and we lay these guilt trips on people and these, these really unbiblical expectations of people, so we come to church, hi, 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 and deep down you're groaning and you're lamenting, but you're so scared to share because you're afraid of what someone else who's groaning and lamenting is going to think about you. It's just ridiculous. So, if you call the well your church home, I happen to be the lead pastor right now. Permission to groan and lament. Permission to be human. We're all on the journey together. We're all on the journey together. And you might be going through it, and I'll come alongside you, or someone else will come alongside you, because we're, we're kind of okay right now, and we're going to groan and lament and, and one another, one another right now. And you know what? Tomorrow might be flipped. And I'll call you crying because I got a text and an email. This is the church. This is the freedom. And so I'm hoping that, that you know, that Philippians 2.14 can do all things without, you know, it can be one of these messages. But truth be known, it's one of these messages. It's one of these messages. And there might be a time if you have a relationship with a brother and sister and they're going through something and you kind of catch them starting to grumble, you can catch them and you can lovingly speak the truth. Say, hey, 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 brother, slow down here. I get what you're going through, but be real careful that you don't start accusing God of not being good and competent in your life. That's, that's what brothers and sisters do as well. Amen. This is what we do for each other is we come alongside and we bring correction to one another if, if we start to slide down this path of unbelief and this path of really what we call the rabbit hole. You can do that. You can speak the truth in love and just say, hey, 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 groan and lament. Careful about that grumbling. God's still on the throne. God still loves you. How do you know the cross? That's why, you know, Randy's going to come up in just a second here and lead us into communion. That's why we love celebrating communion. Because I don't know about you, but seven days apart, you know, a lot happens. And sometimes we need to come back to communion as a remembrance of the hope, the confidence we have in Christ. And sometimes we come back to communion and we understand that our Savior understands our groaning and lamenting as well. And that we're just the body of Christ on this journey together. Okay? So, Randy, come on up and lead us into communion, and then uh, when we're done with communion, we'll close with the song. You may be seated. So, um, you may have already done this when you walked in, but even if you did, I want you to just turn around to somebody who's near you and say, I am glad that you're here today.
All right. I heard some real genuine that I'm glad you're here today. So, okay, well, it is time for the kids to leave for Kingdom Kids. And kids, you're going out the main doors now. So head on out. Your teachers are out there waiting for you. Kim's doing jumping jacks back there. All right. Good job. Okay, so um, just a couple of announcements today. Uh, the contribution statements, as we had mentioned last week, are available. I'll be up in this area after service today. If you want to come up and just actually get a hard copy uh, for this year, you can do that. If you would like to uh, get it by email, uh, in the bulletin and up on the screen, there are directions just to email into the church email uh, what your email address is, and we'll send those out to you in the mail. So either one of those options is is fine. Um, The second has to do with puzzles, like actual like puzzles that you build. So Ernie and Betty are lifelong puzzle aficionados. And Ernie and Betty have a lot of puzzles, let's just put it that way. And so they are putting themselves in the very generous position of becoming essentially kind of a puzzle lending library. And so if you like puzzles and you would like to borrow a puzzle and hopefully give it back when you're done. Um, you can see Betty, you can see Ernie, they have lots of them and you could they'll keep you busy for years doing all sorts of puzzles. So feel free to see Betty, see Ernie for that. Um, and just before Richie comes up, uh, I'm just going to pray. Um, so Lord, once again, uh, we are here We are here because of you. We are here for you and because of you. And we thank you for the grace to be with us this morning. Um, Lord, I ask you, we ask you just to use Richie right now to speak truth and to speak word, your word into our hearts, into our lives for the transformational work that only you can do. Amen.